you are Locked On Dodgers, your daily Los Angeles Dodgers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So I say D, I say D-O, D-O-D, D-O-D-G, D-O-D-G-E-R-S, team, 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 team. Hello, Dodger fans. Welcome to Locked On Dodgers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one local sports daily podcast network. Locked On, your team every day. This is the daily podcast covering the Los Angeles Dodgers, bringing you the smart fans' perspective on our boys in blue. I am Jeff Snyder of Baseball Central, along with my good friend Vince Samperio of Chavez Ravine Fiends. Happy Christmas Eve to you, Vince. Happy Christmas Eve, Jeff. Uh, We made it a whole year. Not a whole year, but we made it through this year so far, so... uh... Uh, it's been fun. Yeah. Uh, I guess maybe I just ruined what we were going to do because we specifically said, let's not mention the date on any of these just in case any breaking news happens. And then, you know, and when I said that, I thought, well, we never mentioned the date really. And now for the first time ever, I just mentioned the date. So, you know, if you're listening to this and it's not Christmas Eve, just know that that's because we re-recorded because some big news happened after we recorded on December 23rd. And so, uh, you know, Merry Christmas to you too, just in case, Vince. <laughs> yeah. So today we're going to talk about uh, the news of Rich Hill getting arrested. We're going to talk about um, a something that MLB Network tweeted out about the best uh, position player duos in baseball uh, with some Dodgers on that list. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, over-under betting lines and maybe some other things. Uh, but first we want to remind you, please subscribe to locked on Dodgers, wherever you get your podcasts. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast locked on Dodgers. All right, Vince, tell me about the Vegas betting lines. Yeah. So the William Hill sports book came out with the 2020 over under lines for team wins and the Dodgers who, uh, by some people's measures are having the worst off season in baseball are second with 99.5, uh, projected wins in, on their betting lines right behind the Yankees who are at 101.5 uh, rounding out the rest of the top Astros are at 97 the Braves and Nationals and Twins are all over 90 but yeah I mean the Dodgers 106 last year and 99.5 I think it's a little high but uh, they have to get the betting lines going somehow I guess yeah I feel like it's high for a betting line you know you you, you yeah. generally seems like there's usually a little bit more but i guess not i don't i don't bet much and so um seems like this is a good way to get some people like us betting the under you know yeah and and then uh yeah because maybe i mean they should win 99 or 100 i guess that means they have to win 100 if you're winning um they so they should win 100 but it's hard to say any team is going to win 100 games uh even a team like the Dodgers that won 106 last year. Uh, But the Astros actually won more than the Dodgers last year. So these betting lines must really be down on the Astros losing Garrett Cole. Yeah, well, I mean, that's one guy that's pitching every fifth day that they're not going to have almost, not a guaranteed win, but uh, close enough to a guaranteed win as you can with any other pitcher. Yeah, and maybe they're also down on uh, the Astros maybe not being quite as successful at home for some reason next year. Wink, wink. (laughs) Um, it's very possible because they're cheating cheaters that's why um yeah so if you are a betting person go go put some money on the over 
for the Dodgers because they're going to win 109 games. I just told you that. So uh, there's plenty of wiggle room between that and 99 and a half. So definitely put your life savings on the over. And remember, I'm required by law to tell you I am not qualified to give you financial advice. So uh, if you do it, don't blame me if you lose, but send me some money if you win. That's all I'm saying. You are trying to catch all angles here, but uh, Jeff's not a betting man. And, you know, don't listen to him. He's only right half the time. I've never even put a nickel in a slot machine. Do slot slot machines take nickels? Um, I believe they still do. Okay. Because I've never even done that. I uh, closest I've ever come to gambling is an NCAA tournament pool where we each had to put a candy bar in a bowl, and the winner got all the candy bars. So uh, that's as close as I've got. Very wholesome. Yeah, you know me. Uh, But one of the reasons the Dodgers are uh, projected to win so many games is because they have some good baseball players. And that's what we call a segue into a tweet from MLB Network. It said, which duo will have the best 2020? And then it listed six pairs of teammates, um, listing them ranked by their 2019 war. Uh, I haven't looked to see. I don't remember if MLB Network uses uh, baseball reference war or fan graphs war, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, for purposes of our discussion, it doesn't really matter. So uh, Cody Bellinger and Max Muncie were, were second on this list. You have Marcus Semien and Matt Chapman with 14.8 combined war in 2019. And then Cody Bellinger, Max Muncy right behind them at 14.7. And then at 14.6, you have two pairs of teammates, uh, Alex Bregman and George Springer, and then new teammates, Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon. And then you drop way down to 12.1 for two more uh, pairs, Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story, and Mookie Betts and Rafael Devers. And so... uh, I guess first, Vince, let's answer MLB Network's question. Which duo will have the best 2020? I would have to imagine that Trout and Rendon will, just for the fact that I don't wish Trout to play less than 140 games like he did the last year. And if Trout plays a full season, he's good for 8 to 10 war on his own, which cuts a little bit more slack for Rendon. Uh, Semyon and Chapman's probably the most surprising on the list, and they're actually number one and two. I doubt many uh, guys would pick those two just for the fact that Muncie's not as well-known yet and then Samian and Chapman are not really known at all uh, beyond the A's or the AOS probably. So I'd go with Trout and Rendon, and then uh, hopefully it's like Bellinger-Lindor or yeah, Bellinger-Pets uh, that is actually number one next year. Yeah, I mean, maybe they need to make a new graphic for the best position player trios uh, because – Ideally, Bellinger and Muncie would have a, a new partner in crime, and and then you'd kind of get three chances. You could do Bellinger and Lindor, or Lindor and Muncie, or Bellinger and Muncie. You know, depending on which two had the best seasons, or replace bets there. Either way, um, yeah, Marcus Semien uh, played out of his mind. I think last year. I'm interested to see if it is real or if uh, if he goes back to his previous level of success. In which case. Yeah, that I wouldn't expect to see Simeon and Chapman, you know, nearly as high as they were in 2019. I wouldn't be surprised if they still get up close to that 12 level that you know Betts and Devers are at. Um, but but you can kind of see there, Betts and Devers, you have a superstar and then a, a supporting uh, cast member. Arenado and Story, it's kind of the same thing. But then the other ones, it's like oh, those are legitimately really good players. 
Um, like you said, Max Muncy isn't as well known as some of the others, but he sure has performed the last two years. So, uh, yeah, I do think Trout and Rendon will probably be the favorites, but you know, I I'd say Bellinger might be more of a question mark than Muncy as far as doing his part to get on this list next year, just because Muncy has been more consistent the last two years. Bellinger has had the peaks and the valleys, you know, and I, I almost feel like we know exactly what we can expect from Max Muncy. And now, because I said that, we're going to get something unexpected from Max Muncy. I just hope it's on the good side. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you think Bellinger's more of the question mark? Yeah, he's he's definitely the question mark between those two. Max has been pretty much a motto of consistency. Um, the fewer peaks and valleys, Bellinger was more peaks and valleys, but uh, very high peaks last year. I think the one thing that will affect Bellinger is just where he plays next year, whether it's center or right field. Because um, center field gets a little bit higher shares, right, of, like, war. It, it, center field gets a big war bump because it's a much more valuable position. Yeah, than right so, I mean, field. if he's out there in center 80% of the time, then obviously that's going to help him because regardless of how he's hitting, his defense is always going to be there. Yeah, and, and Muncy's position uh, matters too because second base is more valuable than yeah. first base. You know, a second baseman who hits 35 home runs is much more valuable than a first baseman True. who does. So hopefully they're so. back up to 14 and above next year. And like I said, hopefully it's with another guy that they can add to that and, and form a trio. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Rich Hill getting arrested and tie it into our obscure former Dodger of some legal problems from days of yore. So keep it locked on Dodgers. All right, let's jump right into our obscure former Dodger. Um, there's a guy. Uh, so, so I did a search to to look for Dodger players who were born on Christmas. You know, little Christmas theme. Uh, there were there were some on Christmas. Actually, the only modern, the only player to play for the LA Dodgers who was born on Christmas Eve or Christmas was Jamie Wright. He was born on Christmas Eve, 1974. Uh, Dodgers, the LA Dodgers have never had a player who was born on Christmas. The Brooklyn Dodgers had, had a few, including a guy named Greek George. You ever heard of Greek George before events? I have not. He was a catcher. He played seven games for the Dodgers in 1938. Uh, he played parts of five seasons in the big leagues spanning 11 years uh, 35 and 36 with the Indians, 38 with the Dodgers, 41 with the Cubs, and 45 with the Philadelphia Athletics. Um, he was born on Christmas Day, 1912. And the the thing that is interesting about Greek George is the way his career ended. And so I'm going to, this uh, obscure former Dodger might be a little bit longer than some of them are, because I'm going to read a whole newspaper article to you. It's from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. On Sunday, May 11th, 1980, and it was written by Hal Bach, and the the headline is, Greek George came to Rue slugging ump. Uh, Rue is a play on words because the umpire in this story is named uh, something Rue, Joe Rue. Uh, so here it is uh, by Hal Bach. In case you thought Pittsburgh Pirates third baseman Bill Madlock was being original when he massaged umpire Jerry Crawford's face recently, there's evidence to the contrary. So apparently Bill Madlock, who was later a Dodger, had punched Jerry Crawford in the face 
Uh, Jerry Crawford, of course, is the son of Shad Crawford, who was a longtime Major League Baseball umpire and the brother of uh, this is me talking, not reading anymore. I'm, I'm interjecting. Jerry Crawford is the brother of what's that NBA umpire uh, referee's name? The one who uh, got busted for like throwing games or cheating or being Donnie. No. Oh, that's right. No, uh, it was a Crawford and uh, oh, Joey Crawford. Joey Crawford. Yeah, maybe it was he, just that he was calling he's fouls. Not, he on. wasn't accused of that. He just was a very uh, interesting referee. I think he was accused of being unfair, like calling more fouls on somebody just because he didn't like him or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so Jerry Crawford got punched in the face by Bill Madlock, which led Hellbach to write this article. So continuing, the testimony comes from Joe Rue, who was an American League umpire 35 years ago. He was on the receiving end when a catcher named Charlie Greek George decided to do a little boxing on a baseball field one day in 1945. It was Labor Day, and the New York Yankees were in Philadelphia's Scheib Park to play the A's. Rue was umpiring behind the plate when the A's George came to bat. George wasn't one to strike terror in the hearts of opposing pitchers, managing only a 177 career batting average. Greek George had a reputation with all the umps, said Rue. You couldn't call a strike on him. He'd always yell, no matter what. He'd give you the same stuff every time up. On this particular day, George took a pitch that Rue recalls as being right down the middle. Strike three, shouted the umpire, much the way Crawford called Madlock out on strikes in Pittsburgh. Well, George started complaining, just like always, recalled Rue. He said, you always give the stars a break and call third strikes on guys like me. I said to him, get out of here, you're out. With that, Rue removed his mask, took out his whisk broom, bent down, and dusted off the plate, a ritual thousands of umpires have followed before and after him. But he was the only one ever to get hit with a punch when he stood up after completing the chore. He hit me over the right eye and opened a gash, Rue said. It stunned me for a moment, but it didn't knock me down. I yelled at him, if that's as hard as you can punch, look out. And with that, the umpire began running after George, waving his mask and shouting, I'll kill him, I'll kill him. Yankees Joe DiMaggio and Charlie Keller intercepted Rue as George retreated on the run to the A's bench. King Kong Keller, he had those long arms, you know. He just wrapped them around me and locked me up, Rue recalled. DiMaggio stood in front of me and said, now Joe, cool off, take it easy. But Rue wanted to battle George then and there. I'd have chased him into the dugout and into the clubhouse if I could have gotten away from Keller and DiMaggio, he said. When Rue calmed down, the A's trainer patched him up and he finished the game. George, of course, was suspended by American League President Will Herridge. The term used at the time was indefinitely. A week later, Greek George had his sentence reviewed by Herridge. The hearing was held in the A's dressing room where the catcher accused Rue of cursing him. I never cussed a player in my life, and I never let one cuss me, the umpire said. If he did, I'd run him. And with that, Rue left the hearing. It was the last time he ever saw Greek George. The suspension was maintained through the end of the season, and George, who had come out of Savannah, Georgia, to become a journeyman ball player, was back in the Southern Association the next year. He never played another inning in the major leagues, and it was good riddance as far as Rue was concerned. You know, I drove through Savannah once, the old umpire noted. I never gave him a thought, though. So uh, that's our obscure former Dodger, Greek George, whose most notable thing came not in his seven games with the Dodgers, but in his last game as a major leaguer when he beat up the umpire. Uh, any thoughts on that, Vince? No, definitely something. I don't think, well, I don't know. I want to say it wouldn't happen in today's game, but I can't really be sure. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we had uh, Delman Young throwing a bat at the umpire in the minor leagues. True. Um, but yeah, an actual punch. Yeah, I don't know. Not to the umpire. I, I can see it between players. But uh, yeah, and it is interesting that he actually got kicked out of baseball basically forever for it. Um, 
you hear some wild stories from the earlier days, but maybe by 1945, they were, they were more dignified and not going to stand for that. So, uh, but speaking of troublemaker players, Rich Hill got arrested, that troublemaker, uh, tell the story for us, Vince. Yeah. So Rich Hill was at the Patriots game and on Saturday, and I guess his wife had an oversized bag and refused to leave when ordered to do so by police. Uh, she was going to be charged with uh, disorderly conduct, I believe, and trespassing. So I'm assuming, I don't know, she forced her way into the stadium or was trying to force her way. I don't know what constitutes trespassing. Uh, and they were trying to put her in the little police prisoner transport vehicles that they have. And Rich Hill was charged with disorderly conduct and resisting arrest because he tried to stop the police from putting them, putting his wife into the little vehicle. So we're, you know, not sure entirely what it was. Um, I'm sure the cops maybe were a little aggressive. I don't know exactly the whole story, but uh, it's pretty interesting that Rich Hill is a Dodger or was a Dodger and he got arrested and it made for a fun time on Twitter that and a relatively slow day. Yeah, uh, from what I've seen on Twitter, the uh, public sentiment seems to be totally on Rich Hill's side, yeah. uh, which probably isn't surprising, especially on Twitter um, and with it being the police and, you know, Twitter is generally more liberal and uh, police officers aren't always the most popular people among the liberal crowd. So, And then you have Rich Hill being a fan favorite. Um, there wasn't violence involved, so it's easier to, to be on his side. Sounds like he's not going to be charged with anything, like they're just going to pay some fines and, and it'll be done with. Uh, so that's good. He um, said that uh, seeing his wife handcuffed for a problem that started because of her fanny pack was extremely difficult for him to witness. So I'm going to assume her fanny pack wasn't clear or see-through and it was bigger than the allotted size. Because uh, if you go to NFL games, you have to have clear bags. They have a clear bag policy. I'm assuming that's what it was, and then it just escalated from there. But Rich Hill did say his respect, great respect for law enforcement remains unchanged. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, I have a great respect for law enforcement, too. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the big problem here is probably the uh, the policy of no fanny packs. Um, seems like it's easy enough. I, I don't know. It's uh, we, Anybody who stood in the security lines at Dodger Stadium knows that searching through backpacks and stuff can can take a long time make the the lines back up so if you are set on knowing what's in everybody's bags i guess the clear bag policy makes sense but uh do they make clear clear fanny packs yeah they specific i mean they had them before but now even more so now with like nfl they have them with logos and stuff so uh no the league, the, the rule's been around long enough that I'm sure they just don't like dealing with it anymore. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Uh, I've never been to an NFL game. Um, but it seems like, uh, I mean, do they allow purses? No, anything bigger than a, anything bigger than like a clutch or a wallet has to be clear. So if women need to bring any any girl things with them, they have to fit them into their wallet? Or, yeah, or put them on a... to display to on display to the world. Yes. Huh. Okay. Well. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that policy. Uh, I feel like there must be some middle ground. Uh, maybe at fanny pack. You know, something small enough that it's you know you're not going to be smuggling in a nuclear bomb, uh, but big enough that you can smuggle in the things that you might not want everybody seeing. 
Yeah, some stadiums have uh, like a check-in. You can check in like lockers kind of, but not every stadium. And sometimes those lines get super long because for a lot of people, it's their first time going. They don't know the rule, and then they kind of uh, have to either take it back to the car or do that. So it's a little bit of a hassle, but good for me is I don't really take bags into football games. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do wish that and this is kind of changed topics, but I wish that at like a Dodger stadium, they would have separate lines for people who don't have bags. And so have the bags go through a bag section and anybody who doesn't have bags, let them just go through the metal detectors and, and not have to stand in the same lines. But uh, I don't know, maybe that's just self-serving because I don't bring bags to games. So Yeah, they might have it next year with the, with the bigger uh, area to come in through. Huh. Yeah, maybe. That would be uh, that would be nice. Um, all right, just to wrap up this episode, you have any more thoughts on Rich Hill? No, I kind of want the Dodgers to resign him more now, um, and I'm surprised we haven't seen any free Rich Hill T-shirts yet. Yeah, um, and I'm sure we will. Hmm. Um, all right, Vince, I have one trivia question for you. So you were born on February 23rd, 1991, right? Okay. Um, Do you know the first Dodger to hit a home run in your lifetime? Is it Juan Samuel? It is Juan Samuel. Let's go. I just knew he's on the team in 91. So, (laughs) (laughs) Juan Samuel, those of you who didn't listen to our old podcast, uh, Juan Samuel is kind of a favorite. He, He seemed to show up. We used to do Sporkle quizzes, and Juan Samuel showed up in a disproportionately large number of those Sporkle quizzes. And so he kind of became a running joke with me and Vince. And so I was tickled today to find that Juan Samuel was the first Dodger to hit a home run in your lifetime. It was meant to be. Yeah. The first Dodger to hit a home run in my lifetime was Ron Say uh, in 1977. Mm-hmm. So both both of us, though, uh, it, mine was like the third game after I was born. And yours was like the it was like the fifth or sixth game of the 92 season or 91 season. I mean, by oh. By the time somebody finally hit a home run. So any kid that was born before opening day 2019, they uh, they had quite a first game. Yeah. Who hit the first one? Did Jock hit the first one? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. All right. So that'll be the trivia question answer for somebody's podcast in like 20 years. <laughs> so. All right. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we will be back tomorrow, Christmas Day, unless you're listening to this on Christmas Day, in which case we will be back tomorrow, December 26th. Either way, we'll be back tomorrow uh, for another episode to talk about whatever news. And if there's not news, we will have some Christmas-themed content for you. Uh, Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you have Apple Podcasts, even if you don't use it, please subscribe to Locked on Dodgers there. It will help other people find us. Please rate and view us on, on iTunes. Remember, we are doing a giveaway that we will announce the winner uh, probably on tomorrow's episode. Um, and we'll announce it on Twitter too once we've done that. But all you have to do to enter is leave a review on iTunes for us. Obviously, uh, preferably a good review and a good rating, uh, but not required, but seriously, people. Um, and the winner will get a copy of Amanda Smith's book, Le Renaud Enchanté. Uh, that's my French accent. Uh, so leave a review to be entered for that. If you've already left a review, you are already entered. Uh, you can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Locked on Dodgers. Vince is on Twitter at Vince Semperio. I'm on Twitter at Snydog. Uh, you can send us an email, lockedondodgers at gmail.com. You can shoot us a text 
or uh, leave us a voicemail. The number is 323-863-LOCK-5625. We are here every weekday morning, and we hope you will be here with us. When you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Dodgers. And remember, you don't have to agree. You just have to listen. We'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Say D. I say D-O. D-O-D-G-E-R-S. The team that's all hard. All hard and all thumbs. They're my Los Angeles. Your Los Angeles. Our Los Angeles. Do you think we'll really win the pennant?